So again, I'm really excited to be with you guys this morning. We've been uh, going through Psalms for the last few weeks, and, and we spent the first couple weeks talking a lot about David, King David, and who he is, and, and the reality of who he was, because the, the reality is, as you're going through Psalms, you're really going through uh, an emotional journey with King David. You get to see the highs and the lows of David's life and how he expressed that. Um, and, and in all these times, how he cried out to God through all of that. Um, last week, we got to, to read Psalm 22, which, uh, as, as a lot of you guys learned last week, was the, the verse that Jesus cried out. The very beginning of it was the, the verse that Jesus cried out on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he wasn't just saying that one verse. He wasn't making up a new statement. He was referencing this entire psalm and bringing to light the reality of the fact that so much of that psalm is actually a messianic prophecy that points forward to the cross. And that's such a cool thing that, that, that thousands of years span this gap, but Christ is calling back and saying, you remember that psalm that David wrote? You remember what he wrote back all the way, way, way back then when he was king? That's talking about right now. I'm fulfilling that in this moment. But at the same time, he was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it's this amazing, cool thing that happens but in that psalm, we get to see some of the most depressing moments of David's life. And as you read a lot of these psalms, you see really depressing moments in David's life. And so this week, uh, I, I was told to pick something between Psalms 31 through 40. I'm going to be honest. When you read Psalms 31 through 40, you feel like David is the most emo person you've ever met in your life. And you feel that way sometime in the 70s, too. But... Um, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, I, I'm reading this, and I picture David, like, with the long, black, straightened hair, like, covering her one eye, and, like, you know, white makeup all over his face, and the dark eyeliner, like, writing this, like, my God, why do you hate me? Like, it's just, like, over and over and over, like, what is, it's like, oh, my gosh, David, what is going on? But what you really see when you look at it is you see a guy who's desperate. You see a guy who is in absolute desperate situations, who is desperately calling out for God. And I think it all kind of hits a climax as you come to Psalm 40 um, because you see this guy in utter desperation in, in the absolute deepest pits of his life. And he explains very clearly and very beautifully through this song how to get out of that. And that's really cool to me because I, I'm reading through this and as I read through this this week and I was reading commentaries this week, God would just not let me get away from this psalm and continue to say, this is where you're at in life right now. This is how you felt lately, and this is what you need to be doing to get out of this deep, dark pit that you feel like you're in. We all at times in our life have felt like we're somewhere in the darkness. Like we've made a mistake that we can't come back from. Like whatever's going on in our lives, the circumstances have surrounded us, and we feel like we're in the darkest place, and it's just something we cannot get out of. Whether it's something we did, whether it's circumstances that are happening to us. Maybe you got passed up for a job, a job that you searched after, and a job that you wanted, and a job that you applied for, and you thought you were a shoe-in, and you got passed up for that job, and you're like, what in the world, what do I do now? How do I even come back from this? I made all my life decisions, I banked everything off getting that job, and it's not happening, what do I do now? I've been there. Maybe you're in a situation right now where uh, you, you're here for the summer and you're like, I don't have a job. Uh, I'm just kind of living and, and I'm broke as a joke right now, which you're a college kid, so you probably are. Um, if you're not, hit me up. I'm fundraising. I could use some of that. Um, maybe you're in a place where financially things just aren't working out. 
Things just aren't working out right now. And you're struggling to get by and you're struggling to get by and you're wondering, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to make it out of this? Maybe you're in a situation where you just broke up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and emotionally you're so deep in a pit and you're wondering, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get out of this? And the reality, maybe some of you guys in this room, you feel like life's going okay, you feel like things are going well, but emotionally and spiritually you just kind of feel like stagnant. You just kind of feel like you've just been going through the motions. You know, when, when you actually sit down and think about it, you haven't picked up your Bible and read in a while. You really feel like you're not sure, you know, if, if you're really a strong Christian or if you're just doing this to do it and you're here on Sunday because it's Sunday and you're supposed to be here. Maybe that's where you're at. And I want to tell you that that is a, that is a pit in your life. That is a deep, dark place where Satan will continually drag you further and slowly and slowly further and further away from God. So maybe that's where you're at this morning and you're realizing, man, that really is me right now. David has been there, and David knows how to get out. And I want to spend some time this morning studying Psalm 40 and understanding how we get out of those situations, how we get out of this. And I'll tell you right now as, as we go through, um, for me, this was so real this week, this week and these past few weeks. This was so real to me because of the stuff going on in my life right now. Like I said, uh, my wife and I, we moved here. Um, we're in the process of support raising our salary so that we can work here at the church. Um, and the reality is, financially, we are in, in kind of hard times right now. Um, we've had a lot of uh, bills getting stacked up. And in this last few weeks, uh, we did a lot of stuff. We scrounged a lot of you know, places, and, and we, we, made the, we made everything work. Um, but then right after we like got to the point where we're like, okay, we've got these bills paid off. It's okay. We're not stressed out anymore. We get another bill for $465. And my mind is like, what? <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm pushing a button. Sorry, there's a button. Whoever this is. I pushed it. I didn't know. I don't know what that is. <laughs> my mind is like, what are we going to do? Not about the button. About life. What are we going to do? about life, about how, how do we handle this, how do we get out of this, and my mind starts racing, do I call my mom, you know, she, she's really well off, she could probably help, my sister could probably help, you know, wh- what do I do in this situation, and this was a, a, a little bit of my week being really stressed out about how to handle the fact that we're not really sure where we're at, and as I studied this, as I really studied this, God continued to show me, I've got this. And it's something that I needed over and over and over again, and it might be something that you need this morning, so I want to spend some time going through Psalm 40. We're going to read all the way through it first. I want to read all the way through it so you get all the context, and then we're going to spend some time really dissecting this psalm and what it means. So Psalm 40, if you don't have a Bible, feel free. There's some on the back wall back there. No one's going to think you're weird if you get up right now and go grab a Bible. Actually, that would be awesome. I saw one guy do it one week, and I was so stoked. I was like, good for you. You're really brave, and I love you, man. I didn't say that to him because he probably would have thought it was really weird. But Psalm chapter 40. And again, this is a song. This is, this is David writing poetry, writing songs for the choir director of Israel. And so understand that as we read through this whole thing, it's not lined out like it would be if I was just telling you a story about what was going on in my life. He's writing it more in a poetic style. 
So he starts off in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor those who lapse into falsehood. Verse 5, many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done. And your thoughts toward us, there is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your, work, your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within, or I have hidden your right, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me, your loving kindness and your truth, for evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs on my head, and my heart has failed me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. And let those be appalled by their shame who say to me, Aha, aha, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O God. This beautiful song that David writes, and he's just explaining the the, the situation that he's in and the reality of life for us as Christians. That life is not easy. the, The reality is, if you like Ben Rector, he starts out one of his songs by saying, here's the truth, life sucks sometimes. And that's true. That's that's the reality of where we live in this broken, sinful world. The truth is, life sucks sometimes. And I'll tell you this last week, life kind of sucked for me. Grace and I were dealing with that, not just that, but my sister had been in the hospital all last week, finally gets out of the hospital, but we're taking the kids to school every morning. She's got four kids. We're taking them to school every morning and doing morning drop-offs, and we're not morning people by any means, so that's awful for us. But not just that, on top of that, we're dealing with that, we're, we're, we're doing that every morning, we're not getting a lot of sleep, we're both cranky, we're both tired, that's our fault, we go to sleep too late. Well then Wednesday night, her husband, who's, you know, doing his best to, to, to work and to help out with the kids as much as he can, because his wife's, you know, still on bed rest, can't lift any weight, can't do anything because she had surgery. Her husband Wednesday night is doing some lawn work, trying to be the great husband that he is, Steps in a pile of leaves, gets bit by a rattlesnake on his foot, and immediately goes to the ICU. So now there's no one there for the kids, so it's completely up to Grace and I and my mom to do everything for the kids, to pick them up, to take them to school, to drop them off, to, to, to pick them up back up in the afternoons, 
to, to get them their afternoon snacks, to make sure they're doing homework, to get them back to Liz in the evening when they're tired and they can just go to bed and she doesn't have to do anything with them because her husband also is in an ICU for a couple of days. Then he gets out. He can't walk for two weeks. And life has just been rough this week. And I know I shouldn't be the one complaining about this. But life has just been hard for our entire family this week to make ends meet, to make things work. I mean, if life sucks for anybody, it's Hunter, because his foot is like that big right now. This cat had to have 10 vials of anti-venom put in, pumped into him. They have really good insurance, so they don't have to pay for any of this, but at $7,000 a bottle. Goodness gracious. They told me that, and I was blown away. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, the last few days, that song has just kept playing over and over in my mind. Here's the truth. Life sucks sometimes. And it's been like, man, that's, that's really true. But it, it, the entire time I've been reading this psalm and, and reading this psalm every day and, and, and studying this psalm, and God continues to show me, that's true. You're right. As David knew very clearly, and, and he kind of speaks about it as two different sections here. David's in two different bad times in his life. In the, in the very beginning of this psalm, we catch David just coming out of a bad time in his life. And the second half of this psalm, starting off in verse 10, we catch David going back into a really bad time in his life. Where his enemies are surrounding him, where sin is abound, and where his life just feels like it's crumbling. He actually says in there, my heart has failed me. Everything is coming apart in David's life. But he tells us very, very clearly how to get out of this. And I love this. It starts off right here in verse 1. Sorry, there's a fan up here. Blew my pages around. Right here in verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. So right here, very first, right off the bat, we catch David telling us how we get out of the pit. How we get out of the pits that life puts us in. How we get out of the pits that we sometimes ourselves put ourselves in. David tells us very clearly right here how we get out of the pit. We wait on the Lord. We wait on the Lord. It's not a Gatorade commercial. If you want to be like David, drink Gatorade. We wait on the Lord very clearly. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined me and heard my cry. Waiting on God, this is a a very clear theme throughout Scripture. Over 50 times, this idea of waiting on the Lord is referenced in Scripture. Over 15 of those times are in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 37, he says it three times, waiting on the Lord. It's a very clear idea that he goes for. And he wants you to know to wait on the Lord. But I, I want you to understand here that this word, I waited patiently for the Lord, is not waiting as in, as in we think waiting. When I think waiting, I think of, of just sitting somewhere and, and, and kind of passively sitting back and, and like literally just sitting there expecting at some point something's going to happen, but I don't know when, so I'm just going to hold off here and it's, uh, sometimes it's going to happen. This isn't what David is saying here. This is, in the original Hebrew, this is such an intensified form of this verb that it means waiting, I waited is the literal translation. Waiting, I waited. 
The word can also be translated as waiting in ambush. This isn't a passive form of waiting at all. David is actively waiting on the Lord. He is actively waiting on the Lord. And and this is such a cool idea that, that waiting on the Lord is intently active, not passive. When we're at hard times in our life and people tell you, just wait on God. He's going to come through. Wait on the Lord. That's not something you sit back and say, okay, I'll just wait. This form of waiting on God is an intently active thing. And we're going to go through over the next, uh, next few minutes some of these things that David did to actively wait on God. But it reminds me of this idea when I was reading through this and I realized waiting in ambush. That's such a cool idea. Waiting in ambush. How many of you guys, when you were a little kid, played hide-and-go-seek? I talked about this before. But one of the funnest things to do in hide-and-go-seek was just scare the person that was looking for you. It wasn't to actually wait and try not to be found. It was to try your hardest to jump out of a dark corner and scare the living daylights out of them. I did this one time, and I wasn't playing hide-and-go-seek, and I'll tell you, this was one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. I did this to my wife. She doesn't know that I'm telling this story, so. I, we were out in California still, and uh, we were, this is a little bit before our wedding, and we were in my apartment um, that I lived in with another guy, and we had watched a movie, and she was like, we, the movie went off, she was getting ready to drive back to her house, and she went to the bathroom real quick, and I was like, oh, I'm going to hide, I'm going to scare her. So I run like from the living room, like past the bathroom, into the doorway of, of my roommate's room, and it's really dark. I stand, like, just outside of the light, and I just stand there like this. And I'm waiting to see, like, if she sees me, what goes on. So she comes out of the bathroom. She turns the other way, goes into the living room. She's looking around like, Will, where are you? It's a really tiny apartment. There's not much to it. She's like, where, where are you at? Where are you at? And I'm just standing there waiting for her to see me and get scared. She scares really easily, by the way. So I'm standing there, and I'm just waiting, and she walks like, two feet in front of me, and then turns into my bedroom, thinking I'm in there. She still doesn't see me. She's, it's really dark. She doesn't see me. She doesn't find me in there. She goes back in the bathroom. I mean, I don't know how I would have gotten in there if she was just in there, but she goes back in the bathroom, looks for me again, back in the kitchen, living room. Well, finally, she cuts the flashlight on on her phone from the living room and comes back to look in my bedroom again. And she, as, the, as she turns down the little tiny, tiny hallway and the flashlight comes up, she sees me. And I'm not joking. It was the loudest I've ever heard her scream. She turns around, throws her phone across the living room, runs away screaming, and then once she realizes what's going on, she comes back and just starts hitting me. And she is so mad, and rightfully so. I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to scare you that bad. I wasn't trying to do anything. But the whole time I'm standing there, it's not like an act, like a passive, like I'm waiting. I'm like breathing heavy. I'm like... You're like ready for something to happen. It's like fight or flight mode in your life. And you're like, <sighs> and it's like that when you were a little kid too. When you were waiting on someone to come around the corner, you're trying to calm your breath, but you're like, <sighs> <sighs> you didn't even run anywhere. You walked like three steps and hit around a, a closet, but you're just like, <sighs> he's going to come. Just, I'm going to scare him. I'm going to scare him when he gets you. <sighs> and you're so actively waiting for that thing to happen. And that's, that's the kind of waiting that David is, is referencing here. He's saying, waiting in ambush, I actively wait on you, God. I actively wait. And he says in verse 1, waiting patiently for the Lord, he inclined to me and heard my cry. And right there we hit the second thing that David does. David cried out to God in this moment. 
He cried out to God in this moment. David didn't hit hard times in his life and say, not really sure what's going on, you know, haven't read my Bible in a while, life seems really rough right now. I'm just going to watch some Netflix. I'm going to find a funny movie, maybe that'll get me out of it. I'm going to go hang out with some friends. Maybe, maybe all these friends that I go hang out with, maybe they'll, they'll get me out of my bad mood and we'll hang out, we'll have a good time. No, David realizes that he's in a rough situation and he cries out to God. He's actively waiting. He's crying out to God. Verse 2, he brought me up out of the pit, out of the destruction, out of the miry clay. We don't know what is going on. We don't know exactly what the situation that David's in at this point in his life. Some, some scholars believe this was a physical illness that was going on in his life. Some scholars believe that this was sins that he had committed that were now coming back and he was reaping the consequences of. We don't really know. But what we do know is David refers to this as a pit of destruction and miry clay. He feels like he is stuck in the mud and he can do nothing to get himself out of it. Stuck in the mud and he can do nothing to get himself out of it. So what does he do? He cries out to God and he says, God, you heard me and you inclined and you heard my cry. In the end of verse 2, he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. So David's so excited, he's back where he needs to be. He's out of the miry, thick, muddy clay, and he's back on a firm rock. And he's in a great place in his life. And why is that? Because he waited patiently on the Lord. Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise I will sing to our God. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. Waiting in the Lord means trusting in the Lord. David didn't come to this and put his trust anywhere else except for the Lord. He didn't come to this and put his trust anywhere else except for God. He waited patiently. He waited intently. He waited in ambush. He waited actively on the Lord, crying out to God, trusting only in God. Verse 4, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. And has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. He's saying, you've got to put your trust in God. You can only put your trust in God. You can't trust all these people around you to get you out of it. And man, did that hit hard when I, when I was trying to figure out this week what to do financially. How to take care of the situation. Thinking, should I call my mom? Should I call my sister? You know, they're both well off. They could probably help us out and we can pay them back. Man, did that hit me hard. I don't need to go to anyone else. I need to trust in God in this moment. I need to trust in God. Verse 5, Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Another thing David does here to actively wait as he remembers the wondrous acts of God. He can look back on his life and say, God, you've done so many amazing things in my life. Even right now to get me out of this pit, God, but way before that, you continually worked miracles in my life. That's so huge. I would, I would, I would, I would really um, recommend that if you're in a situation like this, if you're in a hard time in your life and you're in a tough spot, to look back and think of what God has done for you. To look back and think of what God has done for you. I can't get in a hard place in my life right now. And if I sit down and actively and say someone, someone just says, think about what God did for you. I can't look back and be like, 
Nah. Not that much. No, I look back and I'm like, man, you're right, you know? In every situation, in every tough time in my life, God came through, not just in, in small, insignificant ways, but in miraculous, huge ways, God came through. And in the moment, I didn't think of him that way. In the moment, I didn't see him that way. But when I sit down and look back at that, I think, man, God, that could have been nothing else except for you. That could have been nothing else except for you. We want to look and we want to recount the wondrous word, the wondrous acts that God has done in our life. You want to know what it was for me this week, God, as I, as I read through this, God blew my mind. Grace and I got that bill for $465 after we've already paid all these other bills off and we're so stressed out and we're no idea what to do about this. And, and this, is, this is all in the same moment. We, uh, we got a paycheck from our organization that we work for, which actually we don't normally get right now because we're not far enough along in the fundraising process. But this really awesome, generous guy had come in and given us a very large one-time gift. So we got a paycheck. It wasn't, you know, a, a full amount because it has to cover all these things before we ever actually see any of the finances. But we got a paycheck, and, and, and we opened this bill for 465 thinking, what are we going to do about this? And later we open up a check for $469. I can't say that that is anything else except God. We haven't gotten a paycheck in months now, and we open up a paycheck for, I told Grace, I was like, hey, we made $4 this month. Look at us. We're killing it right now. But all I can tell you is that is another step in the amazing, wondrous works that God has continually done. And I promise you, if you sit back and you've been a Christian for any amount of time, if you haven't been a Christian for that long, and you sit back and you think about the way that you were before you were a Christian and the things that God has brought you through, Think about the amazing fact that now he's gotten you out of sin and into a washed, pure state where you are now a child of God. That is the most miraculous thing that he could possibly do for you. Through the power of his son dying on the cross, he's brought you out of that. So you can't possibly say God hasn't done anything for you. So sit down and recount the wondrous works that God has done in your life. And understand that every time you've been in a pit, God has brought you out. Every time I've been in a pit in my life, God has brought me out. And that is such an amazing thing to recount and such an amazing thing to think about. Verse 6. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do the will of, oh my God, your Law is within my heart. Waiting on God means obeying Him. You're in a tough situation, you're in a tough time, and someone tells you to wait on God. You obey His word. You obey His commandments. You do the things that He has called you to do. So David makes it clear here, God, I'm in a tough situation. You brought me out of a tough situation. But what I did through all of this, God, is your law was within my heart. David says in Psalm 119.11, God, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the reality of where we should be as Christians. We should so greatly understand that the words that God has placed in his word, the, the, the truths and the reality that God has placed in his scripture, that it's so heavily embedded in our heart 
That when temptation arises, when sin arises, we can sit back and say, no, no, no. That's, that's not what my God said to do. I'm not saying I'm there. I'm not saying any of us are there. But that's what we should be going for. Should be in a place where God's word is so heavily in our heart that when Satan tries to tempt us, when Satan tries to skew it, and when Satan tries to pull us away from God, we can see that and say, no, 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 that's not, that's not what my God says. That's not what the word of my God says. So David says, I obeyed your word, I understood your laws, and I waited actively on you. Verse 9, I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. He's saying, God, you did amazing things for me, and I'm going to tell people. I'll tell you from the moment we got that whole check thing figured out, I think I've told 30 people, probably not 30, but a lot of people since then. Every time someone's like, how's your week going? I'm like, dude, you've got to hear what happened. It blew my mind. Like, God worked it out in this miraculous way. Everything showed up. And people could look at that and be like, ah, it's just a coincidence. No. Not a coincidence. Not a coincidence in any way whatsoever. God did an amazing, miraculous thing to get us out of a situation that we didn't know how to get out of. To get us out of stress, to get us out of frustration that we could not figure ourselves how to get out of. God pulled us out of it and he said, here you go, I fixed it. Feedback on the firm rock, you're good to go. So we see David continually rejoicing through this first half. But here at the end, he gets back into a hard situation. In verse 10 through the end of the psalm, in verse 17, he falls back into hard times. And, and, and you can read through part of this story in 2 Samuel where David's son Absalom is trying to overthrow David and, and trying to kick him out of the kingdom. And he brings up not just, not just his son, but he brings up some of David's generals in the army who David has trusted, who David has fought with for years. And he convinces them to go against David. And this is the betrayal that David is feeling in these verses. This is the absolute destruction, the pit that David feels in the last half of this. <clears throat> but in verse 16, we see the very end of what it means but for David to wait patiently in, in God, to wait patiently for God. In verse 16, it says, Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. What we see here is that waiting on the Lord means seeking Him. And this is a summation of this entire thing. It's not a passive waiting to see if God does something. It is an active seeking out God. It is an active seeking out who He is, what He says in His Word, the truths that He puts forward in His Word that we can hold firm to knowing that they're going to come to fruition in our life. It is an active waiting on God. And He's saying you have to seek God. You don't sit back and let your Bible get dusty. You don't forget what it feels like to pray to your God and your Creator. You actively wait on God. You seek after Him. And he says in the next half of that verse, the last thing that it really means to be intently waiting on God, and that's to rejoice in Him. To rejoice in God. We talked about this last week. The idea that at the end of Psalm 22, David comes back from, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at the end of it, he's saying, But God, I will still praise your name. I will still praise your name. I will still continue to seek you. And when we're waiting actively on God to get us out of the pit, we continue to seek him. And we continue to rejoice in him. 
We continue to rejoice in who he is and what he's done for us because the reality is every single one of us is in a pit. Every single one of us has been in a pit. If you're a young college person in this room right now and you're thinking, life's been pretty good. I mean, like, parents pay for everything. I'm in college. They're still paying for everything. Um, Life's pretty simple right now. Let me tell you, you're a sinner, so you are in a pit. Every day you sin, every day you get yourself into a pit. Every day that I don't love my wife the way that I should, I get myself into a pit. And what's so amazing is that I can look forward because I'm, I'm looking at all this in, 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 in histor- historical context. And I can look forward and see that Paul tells us so clearly in Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So beautifully and so eloquently did God pull us out of that pit. It wasn't simple, it wasn't easy for him, it was the death of his own son. But God pulled you out of that pit. He brought you to this place where you can now say, I am a Christian, I am a child of God, I was born again into the family of God, I was adopted into the family of God. And you can now say, I'm out of that pit of sin and destruction and death. (laughs) Every single one of us has been there, and you might be there right now. You might be saying, wait, God can get me out of this feeling like everything is going south. God can, be, can get me out of this? I've never understood this Christ thing. He died for you on the cross so that you could then be washed in the blood of Christ and, and have an eternal life with God. God got you out of that pit. And as Christians, we fall back into pits. Life throws things our way. We throw things our own way. We sin. We fall short. We fall back into pits. And there are so many things here that David makes so clear in Psalm 40, things we need to do to actively wait on God. Not to wait like you're in a doctor's office sitting in the waiting room thumbing through magazines. Then they call you back to the back and you're like, yes, and then you get to wait more in a little tiny room. Often they tell you to take your pants off at that point, and that's no fun for anybody. It's not that kind of waiting. It's waiting actively on God. It's seeking after God. It's crying out to God for deliverance. It's trusting in Him alone. It's remembering His wondrous works. It's obeying Him. It's seeking in Him. And it's rejoicing in Him. That's what it means to actively wait on God. When you find yourself in hard times, when you find yourself in good times, we need to actively be waiting on God, as David did, because what then we see in David's life is he comes out of that pit, and he lives his life to be literally the greatest king that Israel had ever seen, to be called a man after God's own heart. That's where we're at. We want to be in that place. Because for a lot of us in this room, we're in a tough place right now. Life is hard. Life is tough. Here's the truth. Life sucks sometimes. But God, Christ, they're the ones that, he, he's the one that's going to get you out of this pit. Not you, not anyone around you, not anything you can possibly do yourself to try to struggle to get yourself out of that. God is the one that's going to pick you up, put you back on the firm ground. And we're not just called to sit back and to wait and say, okay, God, I'm waiting for you. 
We're called to be in his word. We're called to be in community. We're called to pray. We're called to rejoice in what he's done in our life, to remember the wondrous works that he's done. For God to pull us back out of the pit, and we are, yes, called to wait. So many times in scripture, God makes a promise to his people. God makes a promise to his servant, and then they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Joseph waited in jail for two years for God to pull him up and put him in a place of authority. You're going to wait. It's going to be part of life, but wait actively. Wait the right way. Don't wait passively and continue to fall further and further and further away from God. Wait actively on the Lord, knowing that he's pulled you out of a pit. He's pulled you out of a pit of sin and destruction through his son Christ. He's made promises to do the same again and pull you out over and over and over and to continue to set you up on firm ground. So know that truth. Know that promise that God is going to set you up in a firm place and a firm foundation. So the band's going to come back up. We're going to sing one more song. And I really challenge you guys as you go out this week to think about the place that you're in in life. Life might be going pretty well. might be going pretty good. But I promise, if you're in that place right now, that the reality of life is that it sucks sometimes. You're going to fall back into a pit. You're going to fall back into a place of sin. You're going to fall back into a place of destruction. And the only way out is to rely on God. The only way out is to actively wait on God. To wait patiently. He'll incline and he'll hear your cry. He's got some stuff he wants to teach you in that time, so actively wait on the Lord and who he is.